If people only knew us by our social media accounts, what would they learn? On social media, no one ever has a bad day. Family vacations go perfectly. Our days are spent relaxing and playing. Everyone gets along all the time. But what about the space between the joy and fun? What do our families look like when we're not in front of the camera? The times when we're most vulnerable? No more carefully staged moments. No more filters. Let's talk about the real stories behind the crafted pictures we let the world see. Good morning. Good to see everybody. I'm glad you're here. My name is Josh Surratt. If I haven't met you, uh, look forward to hopefully getting a chance to do that. It's a beautiful weekend in the Low Country, and a great weekend to be in church. If you are not in the Low Country, maybe you're joining us at one of our campuses, or maybe you're on the internet, uh, church online. We are so glad that you are with us as well. Uh, excited about what God's going to do just during our time together. Before we jump into the message, though, I wanted to give you a quick update from last weekend. Last weekend, our founding pastor. Uh, Greg Surratt, who happens to also be my father, uh, challenged us as a church to, to get involved with the, the relief efforts that are going on down in Baton Rouge, and many of us have seen kind of some of the flooding and lots and lots of people displaced and ha having challenges. So he challenged us to text to give up to, up to $20. Didn't want anybody to give more than that. Let's just see what could happen if we all jumped in and, and did something together. And I just want to report back that we have now raised over $42,000 just from you guys being generous. And so isn't that awesome? And so we're working with partners down there. All of that money is going to go directly to serving people who uh, need help and who are in a, a difficult situation. And so I love the picture that that gives me, though, of just all of us doing a little bit and the amount of impact that we can make. And so thank you for responding. Thank you for being a, a generous church. And uh, we're just grateful for, for the way that you guys have responded. Let me ask you a question as we jump in. How many of you went on a road trip this summer? Did anybody do any road tripping this summer? Okay, a lot of us did. See, we used to do road trips grow, growing up as kids, and I look back on those road trips as some of my fondest memories. I love road trips, and Lisa and I, my wife, she's here during this service. When we're talking often about what we would like to do for a vacation, I, I, I always push for the road trip. I just, let's get in the car and drive as far as we can. And she's like, oh, I'm not sure that's going to work out real well. I just have these fond memories of it. I was talking to my dad about it, about some of our road trips. I remember one time we went from Charleston to Albuquerque, New Mexico and back in a minivan, six of us. Um, and I thought it was great. Saw new states and experienced new things. And so I was talking to him about it, and he was like, yeah, I think you're forgetting some, some details of that road trip. <laughs> like that moment in Missouri when I threw up in the car, not in the middle seat, but in the back seat of the minivan. Uh, I imagine that was a blessing for, for the whole family to experience that, uh, you know, as we're about halfway to Albuquerque. And then he reminded me that we were on the busiest highway in, in New Mexico, and our car broke down right on the highway. Didn't even have a chance to pull off to the side. I guess it was, a, I don't know what it was. But, and I remember my mom literally was crying in the front seat because we were kind of around a, a blind turn. And she just knew that we were going to get rear-ended by somebody. And so we, we had that blessing that happened. And then on our way home, we were going through Texas. And at one point, my dad pulled off to the side of the highway and invited my, my brother and I to get out of the car so that he could beat us on our rear ends. <laughs> Right in front of everybody to see. I'm not lying. That's, that happened. And that's, I guess, when in Texas. I don't know what his deal was. Don't clap for that. Come on. I didn't deserve it. 
you got the, the you know, are, are we there yet? And you've got the, the gas, uh, not like the fuel, but the gas that would be spread throughout the car. And you know, whoever smelt it, dealt it, you know, the, that, those whole arguments. And you remember the, um, the imaginary boundary for the seats? It's like, mom, he's in my seat again. It just, you know, it's, then, then I, I hated that question. I still do. Are we, are we there yet? How much longer? When are we going to be there? I think the reason we hate that question so much is because we all wish that this was over. And so it's like, I don't know, but we're going to get there. And sometimes the, the memory that we have uh, is, is different from the actual experience. And then what do we do? About, about a week later, all of a sudden the kids are going, can we do another road trip? And it's like, why would you want to do that again? That was awful. But we, we have these moments, one or two moments during the trip where everything kind of lines up and you snap that picture and you put it out to your Facebook feed or Instagram and it's like, it was amazing, what a great trip. And then we all compare our lives to your highlights and think that that's what it was really like. But we all know that, that those highlights happen from time to time, but most of our lives are lived in between them. And that's why we're doing this series called InstaFam. You know, we live in this day and age where we, we live so much of our lives online and we post so much stuff. And that's great. We want you to keep doing that. I love following y'all and, and being able to experience those things together. But we all know the truth of the matter is most of our lives are lived in these moments between the highlights. And that's what we're talking about during this series. We talked about the first week that there's no such thing as a perfect family. Great message. We looked for a biblical example to hold up and say, hey, let's do like these guys, but there isn't one. Uh, there's no such thing as a perfect family. So if you are a perfect family and you're here, uh, you probably should go to a different church because you're going to mess up our average because we are just, we're good with not being perfect. And then last week, uh, Greg talked to us about marriage and what does it take to, to make a great marriage work and to study our spouses and a fantastic, fantastic message. This week, we're going to talk some about parenting, about parenting. Now, before I get into it, I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge that there are probably many of us in this room and at our campuses that, that don't have children. Uh, either you don't have children yet or you, you're, you've never had children. And so I want to encourage you to, to hang with me, though. Uh, don't, don't tune me out because a couple of reasons. Number one, we all have an obligation to invest in the next generation. And you may not have kids in your own home, but we do have kids that we influence. It could be nephews or nieces, or maybe you're a teacher, or you've got kids in the neighborhood. And uh, serve in student ministries, whatever it might be, all of us have an obligation to, to pour into the next generation. And so you, you'll learn some things about that. But secondly, a lot of what it takes to be a great parent is the same stuff that it takes to be a great leader. And so there will be application uh, principles for all areas of our lives, not just with the kids in our home. And so I, I encourage you to stay with us and, uh, and, and to, to, to not tune out, because I think that there's going to be something for you if you'll, if you'll hang with us. But Honestly, I, I often struggle uh, on whether I even want to talk about this topic uh, because we have three children and they're all still in the home. You know, so the jury's still out kind of on how we're doing here. So I'm not, I'm not talking to you as an expert, as a parent, but I do think that this is, first of all, an issue that I'm passionate about. I love being a dad. I love having our kids. And uh, we've learned so much over the years. Much of what we've learned has happened in small groups here at Seacoast. You know, being around even this past weekend, our small group uh, talked about patience, and immediately we begin applying that to our children. It's just we, we've learned so much through parenting classes and through small groups. So if you want to be a great parent, I just encourage you to hang out with other people who want to be great parents too, and you'll rub off on each other. You'll learn from each other. It's Connect Weekend at all of our campuses, and so I'd encourage you to, to connect into a small group. 
because we've, we've learned so much, but, but, but we're going to talk about it. And if, if I'm being honest, a lot of times I filter my parenting choices through the lens of how does this make me look? And maybe I'm the only one in the room that would do that, but you're out in public, right, with your kids, and maybe they're acting out at a restaurant, and you're like, there's this insecurity that, like, we want our kids to act well for their benefit, but it also reflects back on us. I know our family was at the beach a couple weeks ago, and there was a guy there who was uh, clearly not from America based on the bathing suit he was wearing, if you get my drift. <coughs> so he comes out of the water, and and he approached my wife and, and our kids just to say, hey, a great-looking family, y'all are doing a great job. And my three-year-old looked up at him and said, where's your bathing suit? <laughs> it's like, you know, sometimes you just wish they wouldn't open their mouths. It's like, in that case, he really needed to be told, though. So I was kind of glad she did. <laughs> but sometimes parenting's like image management, image management for us, you know. And so we'll post something, maybe our kid made the all-star team, and it's like, hey, look at little Johnny. He's doing great. And we're thinking, hashtag, I'm an awesome dad, honestly, if I'm just being, you know, or, you know, Lily made the honor roll, just like her mom, hashtag, you know, it's, but, but, but what I want us to do is get back to the heart of parenting. What's it all about? There's so many different places that we could go in Scripture, but I want to take you to an incredible verse that gives us a great metaphor for parenting. Psalms 127 and verse 4. It's, if you have an outline sheet, uh, it was in your worship guide, you can kind of track along there. We'll have some of these verses on the screens as well. But the first verse there, it says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I love that passage. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. You know, back in the ancient days of ancient Israel, the arrow w- would have been one of the most innovative military technologies that they had because it allowed them to, to, to be able to attack their enemies from afar. But any warrior would have understood the value of an arrow, how important it would be to come armed with that. And so they would recognize that an arrow is a gift, but it's also a great responsibility, <clears throat> a great responsibility. And, and I, I love that the Bible uses our kids as that metaphor. They're arrows in the hands of a warrior. In other words, I think the greatest thing we can take away from it is that an arrow is not useful unless it's eventually sent out. And so as parents, our primary responsibility is to to invest in our kids in such a way that one day we're going to send them out into their purpose. And hopefully they'll have a sharp point to it, not to go into war, but to go into a culture that desperately needs to see examples of what what, what godly character looks like. And so our job is to, to pour into them and then one day to send them out. I've got three incredible arrows that God has blessed me with. I've got my son, Miles, nine-year-old boy, just an incredible young man. He's bold, he's confident, he's athletic, and God's just put some things in him. And I know he's, he's been hardwired with a purpose. And my job with this arrow is to shape his character and to hopefully teach him to, to one day go out and make a huge difference in the world. I've got two other arrows. I've got my daughter, Greta Kate, and I love about arrows is that they don't all look the same. They're all different. My, my little girl, Greta Kate, she's seven years old. She is sensitive. She's got just a big old heart. That's what happens when um, it rains during your photo shoot. You just power through. But um, she, she, she is so compassionate. She loves people. She serves her brothers and sisters well. She loves animals, which is great, except for like 
She won't even let me kill cockroaches in the house because she's like, Daddy, they have feelings too. I'm like, no, they don't. They need to be destroyed. But, but I know that God's going to use that big old heart of hers in just huge ways. And, and, and she's an arrow in my hands. And my job is to shape her and hopefully to, to, to lead her in a way that she'll accomplish her mission. I've got another one. I've got little Ellie. Eliana Joy Surratt, my little three-year-old arrow. And she is just amazing. Eliana Joy means the Lord has answered my, my prayer with joy. And he really did with her. We, we prayed for a third child, and he gave her to us. She's the life of the party. She's so much fun. She also has a lot of leadership in her, which if you have a three-year-old who has leadership, you can attest that's a challenge at times. And so in our home, uh, you know, it's, it's either all great or all hard right now, but we, we love her. And we know that God has, has designed her for a purpose. And he, here's the thing about an arrow. One day with an arrow, right? And some of you hunting season starts this, re- this week, so you bow and arrow hunters get it. But but the arrow is in, in our hands for only a, a small part of the, the, the course of its trajectory, right? We only get to hold this arrow for just a small part, of a fraction of, of the time that they're going to be living this life. But the time that we have shapes the direction that we launch them into and, and the speed at which they go. And so it's an incredible privilege and responsibility that God has given us. So let's, let's shape the arrows. Let's, let's pour into our kids. So how do we do it? I want to give you... Three broad principles that, that we can go by. And, and again, if, you, if you've got parents in your, or kids in your home, you're going you're gonna to find some application. Let me also speak to those of you that maybe you're, you only have the arrows for a couple weekends a month. Maybe you're in a, a blended family or you're in a single parent family. And, and I recognize that, that you, you face some unique challenges in that role. And I just want to encourage you, if that's you, you're among family. That's part of what the church is here for, that we would be in this together. But the principles that we're going to talk about can be applied in all kinds of different family scenarios. And so I believe that God's going to speak to you and give you some encouragement. The first thing that we can do if we want to shape these arrows is, is number one, start now. Start now. Wherever you are, whatever you've been through up to this point, start now just with an intentionality that I'm going to, I'm going to pour into these children. Look at the next verse on your own sheet. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15 says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. You may want to circle that phrase, from childhood. They have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. We know about Timothy. He was a great leader in the church, but we also know that his grandparents and his parents poured into him from an early age the principles that we're going to talk about today. So start now. Start doing what? That's a great question. And honestly, there's so many things that we could focus on with parenting. There's no way we, we, we could cover even half of it in the short amount of time that we have together. But I want to talk about two things that if you'll start them now, I believe they'll have a tremendous impact on where your kids go and, and the difference that they're going to make in this world. Number one, teach them the benefits of obedience. Teach them the benefits of obedience. Ephesians 6.1, this is like the first verse you memorize if you grow up in the church. Uh, as kids, it's children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. I know my parents had us memorize that one early, but, but check this out. It says, for this is the right thing to do. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. I love it because 
that verse doesn't appeal to the negative side of that. And I know if you're like me, sometimes we go straight to that, like do what I told you to do or else, right? I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. Like we, we can kind of power up on our kids. But this verse says, no, appeal to the benefits of obedience. Man, if you'll learn to submit to, to the authority of your mom and dad and recognize that the rules and the guidelines that we put into place are, are for your benefit because we want to train you to do well, and sometimes you won't understand that, but if you'll obey, if you'll honor your mom and dad, there's really good things that are going to come out of that. Things are going to go well for you in your life. Teach them the benefits of obedience. You know, one of the most common phrases in our home, especially with the kids being relatively young, is first-time obedience. First-time obedience. We, we want to teach them that, man, well, when we give a rule for them, when we give an instruction, it is, there's a purpose behind it, and so do it on the first time. We don't want to be that threatening, repeating parent, which we all are from time to time, that's just begging our kids to obey. First time. So the phrase that we use is right away, all the way, the cheerful way. That's our expectation for our kids. You're going to obey right away, all the way, the cheerful way, right away. Why? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. And if, if my daughter, three-year-old, is, is getting ready to put her hand in a fire or put her hand on a stove, I don't want to have to count to three before she starts listening to me. I want her to know that, man, no, you, you do it right away. It, it's, it's for their benefit, for their safety. One of the things we do with the little ones, if you have little kids in your home, is to kind of train this right away thing is that when we call their name, we teach them to say, yes, daddy, coming, or yes, mommy, I'm coming. We don't just keep calling their name, you know, Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. We say it once, and then we'll find wherever they are, we'll, we'll, yes, yes, daddy, coming, and we'll kind of teach them to come on the first time. We want them to do it all the way. And gosh, we all have testimonies on our kids doing half of what we ask them to do, right? You know, you ask them to clean their room, and they kind of get distracted halfway through, and but, but we want to teach them that, man, do, do it all the way. Do it with excellence, whatever the instruction is. I've got a great book that we bought several years ago called Halfway Herbert. Uh, this is Francis Chan who wrote some, some great books for us as adults, but he writes some incredible children's books. And this one just teaches them the value of, of, of going all the way with obedience. So teach them to do it right away, all the way, the cheerful way, because I ain't got time for your bad attitude. You know, put a smile on your face. Let's get it done. And the hard part is that, that none of this will happen if we aren't willing to sometimes give consequences for disobedience and train them, recognizing that it's not to punish them, but it's to train them to understand, man, there is value in obedience. It's such a big deal because as moms and dads, we're the first opportunity our kids have to learn to respect authority and to submit to authority. And if, if we can train them the value of being obedient, then one day they're going to understand the value of being obedient to the Lord. And when he calls them to do something, they're going to learn not to do it uh, in, a, in a delayed fashion, but to do it to trust that, man, God's, God's promises are for our benefit and for, for our good. And so w we can train that in the lives of our kids. So how are you doing on that? You don't have to answer me because we actually checked up on you this week. We sent a video team out to a couple of your, your houses to see how we're doing on, on first-time obedience. Take a look at what we found. Hey, have you guys signed up for the 5K yet? Yeah, we just signed up yep. yesterday. Yep, I'm kind of nervous. I haven't got much of my running time in since Ella was born. <laughs> You'll be fine. So Sarah, tell me, how is it having three compared to two? Three kids is challenging. Mm -hmm. 
we're outnumbered, you know? Uh, and I hear that your youngest is already playing sports? Yeah. Yes. yes. He's very well advanced for his age, and he's also an artist, so what we decided to do was go ahead and sell some of his work on Etsy. And then we're gonna retire. Yes. <laughs> yep. How old is he? Five. <laughs> wow. Oh, they grow up so fast. Don't they? You know, I remember... Ella? Was... Ella, get down from there. Ella, get down. Ella, get down. Thank you, sweetie. Mm -hmm. She is such an explorer, that yeah. one. She really does have the adventurer spirit. I'm, I'm sorry. Tommy? Hey, Tommy? Hey, Tommy. Tommy. Tommy, could you get out of the mud, buddy? OK, thank you. Thank you. Uh, he's an explorer, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, Phil, Sarah tells me that you're helping coach Tommy's baseball team? Yes, yes. And I'm so excited about it. She is still not getting down. Ella! Ella, get down from there. Ella, get down! Listen to your mother, Ella. One, two, Thank you, sweetie. Mm -hmm. The kids are so excited this year. They got new uniforms, and it's this little yellow stripe. <laughs> Tommy, can you get out of the mud, man? Do you hear your father? You get out of the mud. Are you still in the mud? Get out of the mud. Tommy. Tommy, how many times do One, I One. Tommy. Two. Two and a half, for real, for real. Two and three quarters. Thank you, buddy. Ah. The baseball outfits are so cute. Would you like some more water? I would love some more water. Well, should we tell them? Sure. We have some pretty big news. What? It's still a little early, but we're pregnant. Now I am not going to tell you again. Ella! Tommy! One. Tommy, what are you Tommy, doing? Tommy, you are still in the mud, brother. Two. Two. Point two. Tommy? Tommy, I'm not having it. This Tommy, is no dessert. get out of the mud, man. Don't you, don't you dare. Do not let me get the three. Two and a half? Are you trying to tell you this? He, you know what? This his lips are cursing. Do you hear no, me? No, no. Two in 12 out of the mud. Get Man, I will set you on fire. You get hear your mother's mud. tone? Ella! Now! Get out of mud! Thanks, buddy. Yeah. It's mama's little genius. They're so sweet. The next president. There you go. Can't live without him. Can't live without this potato salad. Am I right? I can see you. Oh, yeah. We're working on it, right? We're working on it. We're working on it. So teach them, teach them the benefits of obedience. Teach them the benefits of obedience. Another thought as we start now is teach them how to get self-control. Teach the kids how to get self-control. Look at this next verse, Proverbs 25 and verse 28. It says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's kind of a, a scary thing. It's saying if we don't teach them to have self-control, then they're, it's, it's like a city without walls. Ultimately, that's going to be destroyed and open to the attacks of the enemy. As we're shaping these arrows that God has given us, we've got to teach them how to get self-control over their emotions and over their mouth, their tongue, all these areas that are, we all struggle with from time to time to, to get. In our home, the second most popular phrase is probably fold your hands and get it together. Or actually, it's fold your hands and get self-control. We've adapted it some. But um, 
But especially those young ones that are in the high chair, you know, they're getting ready to have meltdown mode, and we'll, we'll kind of put them in a, in a room by themselves and with us kind of get the distractions out and just say, fold your hands and let's get some self-control. Why fold your hands? So they can get that anger out right there, you know, but, but they need to kind of focus on that. We'll count to 10, and, and if they can get self-control, we'll kind of celebrate that. It's easy. It's actually, it's not easy. It takes a lot of work, but simple way to teach them to get control over their emotions. And then as they get older, it's like, dude, get it together. And the way Lisa does it with me now is, Surratt, get, get your act together, man. You know, but it's all the same thing. Like, if you've got to take a break, you know, step away, get some, get some self-control. Don't say what you, the first thing that comes to your mind. We all have testimonies on where that can get us, but we've got to teach them how to get self-control. Because if they don't learn how to have self-control, they're going to be left wide open to the attacks from the enemy. And you want to start early because the older we get, the more consequences that come from not having self-control, right? You mouth off to a teacher, to a boss, or don't have self-control over our sexual impulses or desires. In all areas of our lives, self-control is such an important skill to learn. Start them early. So start now. Second thought is live consistently. Live consistently. Look at this next verse. Romans chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. It says, well then, if you teach others, by the way, if you're a parent, you teach others. If you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items that are stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. Obviously, he's talking to teachers in the church, but the principle applies broadly. You know, the whole do as I say, but not as I do, that doesn't translate in parenting. We've got to start early, but we also have to live consistently. We teach them what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Those little eyes are watching us. It's getting kind of quiet, especially in Somerville. I don't know what, what's, what's going on with you guys up there, but let's go back and review just those first two things that we talked about. What are your kids learning about obedience to authority by what they're seeing in you? Is the way that you talk about your boss at home, is that reflective of what you want your kids to model their attitude that they would have towards you? What about when a teacher sends a note home and addressing maybe a behavior situation? Do we quickly jump to the defense of our kid or, or do, we, do we minimize her or his authority in their lives or do, or do we teach them to, to, to honor our authority. It's, it's so important because, again, we, we have the opportunity to teach them the value, the benefits of obedience. But, but w- what are they learning about that when they watch us? How about the traffic laws? I, I'm not going to go there. Let's not. <clears throat> but, but they're watching us. What about self-control? Is that something that we're modeling for our kids in the tone that we speak to them in? I've said this before, and this is an area that I don't stand here and say I'm perfect on it by any means, but when we're yelling at our kids, we've lost self-control. We need to take a a time out. We need to go to the laundry room or go to the bathroom and get get it together, kind of regroup and go, let's let's model for them the right way to do it. I I believe that we're never in a weaker position as a parent than when we're yelling at our kids because we've we've powered up and we're we're using our, our, our authority in a a negative way. And so let's, let's model self-control. What about our finances? Are they seeing us model self-control in our finances? Or are we spending more than, than we're bringing in? 
It's part of why we're doing this series, Financial Peace, because all of us have experienced stress in our finances from not having self-control, at least most of us have, and, and we want to look at how do we model that for our kids. You know, these days, a lot of times, pastors will come to Seacoast and from other churches and around the country to learn from what's happening here, and that's an incredible privilege to show them what you guys are doing and what God's doing in this church, but very, very often, a pastor will pull me aside and, and they'll ask me a question, and I can tell it's, it's rooted in some deep places in their heart. And they'll say, can I ask you a question? What did your mom and dad do right? Because they'll see that we're serving in ministry and you know, definitely have our issues, but that we all kind of love the Lord and are serving. And so they go, what did, what did your mom and dad do right? And I know my parents did some things right. I just can't think of any of them right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. They were, they, were, they were fun. They were great. But I, if, if I had to narrow it down to one thing, I would say it's this principle. They lived consistently. My parents never asked me to do something that, that they weren't willing to also do themselves. I can remember when my dad picked me up from school one day. I was about 15, 16 years old. And uh, unexpected, I wouldn't expect him to show up. And he, he picked me up and he took me on a drive. And he had observed some behavior that, that I'd gotten involved in that was destructive in my life. Honestly, thanks to some of you guys that told on me. You saw me buying some things that I shouldn't have been and, and told him. And, and, but, but we had this long conversation. He wasn't asking me not to abuse alcohol while I was watching him abuse it at home. No, he was living a consistent life. He wasn't asking me to, 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 to honor women when he wasn't honoring his own wife in, in the home. He, he was asking me to do some things, but he modeled it for us with consistency. I love the fact that the same guy that you see every weekend preaching when he preaches is the same guy I saw at home. He, he didn't pretend to be something that he wasn't. And I think sometimes as parents, we feel like we have to fake it in front of our kids, but just live consistently, live consistently. So start now, live consistently. Last thought for us, look for teachable moments. Look for the teachable moments. I, I don't ever talk about parenting without reading this next passage on your outline sheet because it's so good. It says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. In other words, all of our lives are full of teachable moments. When we're having dinner at night, when we're going to bed, when we're waking up, when we're going from one place to the other, be paying attention as mom and dad for those teachable moments in the lives of our kids. And all of life is teachable. I mean, when they fail, it's a teachable moment. What a great opportunity to teach them about God's grace. You know, we learn from an early age what to do and how to approach God when we sin. Are we teaching them that, man, that's the time that you step towards God, that he's going to handle you with grace and with mercy? Or are we teaching them to run and to hide? What a great teachable moment when they fall short. What about when other people harm them? Great teachable moment about forgiveness. Are we going to teach them to, to get angry and to get bitter? Or are we going to teach them to, to get better and to overcome and to forgive? Maybe when they succeed, teachable moments. Teach them about humility. Teach them about the value of, of hard work. I believe the most powerful teachable moments that we have with our kids are the moments when we fail honestly. We talked about living consistently, but let's be real. I mean, the truth is we're, we're, we're going to get it wrong from time to time. We're going to blow it. What if we use those moments as teachable moments? Instead of acting like 
we didn't do it. You know what? Your kids know when you mess up. What if we said, you know what? I, I, I'm going to teach you how to humble yourself and say, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. I had a pretty epic fail with my son, Miles, a few weeks ago. I had decided about a year ago, I knew I was going to have a meeting in New York City, and I decided I want to take Miles with me for kind of a father-son getaway. And so I used a companion ticket, and I took him to New York City, and I wanted to just have one of these, these moments. Sometimes you create a teachable moment. I wanted to create a teachable moment with my son. And so we did several cool things while we were there. Between meetings, I took him down to ground zero, and I talked to him about 9-11 and kind of told him about where I was when, when all of that happened and, and what, what it did to me emotionally. And we walked around the memorial, and instead of just reading names, I pulled out my phone and I Googled the names, and we would pull up their pictures, and we'd learn a little bit more about their story. And we wept together just mourning what, what happened on that terrible day in the life of our country, but it was a teachable moment. We were walking through Times Square. We ended up walking around. We walked past Trump Tower. And so I was like, here's a teachable moment. I'm going to take him in. And we had pizza at Trump Tower. Not very good pizza. I'm just, that's not a political statement. It's just the truth about the pizza. But, but literally, we sat there for an hour and we talked about politics. We did. I just, I asked him, hey, you're, you can't vote, but if you could, what do you think you would do? What, what, what are you learning here? And, and we just had a great conversation about our country and about leadership and principles. And then we walked through Central Park and we caught Pokemon, po Pokemon Go. It was amazing. No, no redeeming value, but it was fun. We had a good time. But I thought, you know what? I want, to take, I want to take my son to a baseball game. He's never been to a professional game, so I wanted to take him to Yankee Stadium. I've never been there myself, and thought that'll be a fun, fun thing for us to experience together. And so I got on StubHub and found the cheapest tickets I could find, about 20 bucks a piece, and we went over to Yankee Stadium and Got tickets in Section 203. Have any of y'all ever sat in Section 203 of Yankee Stadium? Oh, a hand went up quickly. For the rest of you, just be glad for that. Uh, be, be thankful for that. So we get our stuff, kind of concessions. We get into the stadium. We get to our seats, and there are these two men where decked out in Yankees garb. By the way, much like my friend here on about the seventh row, I was wearing Cubs stuff because I'm raising my children right. And so, <laughs> but these guys decked out in Yankees gear, and they're sitting in our seats. So I said, uh, excuse me, sir, I think these are our seats according to my tickets. And he looked at me and then he just ignored me and kept on going. And I was like, okay. Miles, I'm gonna show you how to kick some behind. No, I'm kidding, I didn't say that. A teachable <laughs> moment. We'll just take some different seats. And then an usher comes up to me and says, hey, are these your seats? Because somebody else is saying they're theirs. And I said, well, ours are actually there. But so the usher goes up to talk to these guys and the guys ignore the usher. I said, whatever, don't, don't bother us. So he's like, do I need to call the police? Do I need to get them involved? And so there's this kind of escalating situation. And so they finally decided, all right, we'll move. And they moved to their seats, which much to my dismay were the ones right next to ours. So we got to kind of squeeze in next to them. And as the game was starting, this guy gets up with a cowbell and he starts ringing and he says, this is section 203. I'm going to go over the ground rules for section 203 at Yankee Stadium. We don't do the wave at, at section 203. Everybody else does a wave. If you want to do a wave, get on the bus, go south about 20 exits and get off at where the Mets play. They do the wave, but we don't do it. He blah, blah, you know, so he goes on. And by the way, he uses some words that I can't use in church, about every other word, uh, words that I had kind of hoped that my son hadn't heard at this point in his life. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, where am I? And so I pulled out my phone and Googled Section 203 of Yankee Stadium. Did any of you know it has its own Wikipedia page? Section 203 does. <laughs> I have taken my nine-year-old son to the worst possible place where the scum of the earth go to watch 
the Yankees play. They, they're called the bleacher creatures, and they have no regard for life outside of Yankee Stadium. There are police officers stationed at both entrances to Section 203 at all times, and multiple times during the game, they escort people to the county jail because that's what happens in Section 203. I look up, sure enough, there's the police officers. They don't serve alcohol in Section 203. They haven't since the year 2000 because you don't want to compound what's already happening, Section 203, with alcohol. Fights break out in Section 203. And by the way, ground rules for Section 203, do not wear non-Yankees paraphernalia in Section 203 because they will, they, they, will, they will torture you. And so these words that I was hoping my son wouldn't hear, now he's getting to hear them talked about. He's being called these words. So I, it's just a terrible, terrible situation. And so about the third or fourth inning, I was like, Miles, we're getting out of here. Like, I'm, I'm just going to suck it up, eat my money, and we're getting out of here. And so we're going back on the subway to our hotel, and I'm just feeling like a failure. I'm like, man, I cannot believe I put him in this situation. So I said, son, I, I want to talk to you about what we experienced. You know, my job as your dad is to protect you, and I didn't do that tonight. I took you into an environment, and, you know, some of the words that were said, I want, I want you to know that you're not to say those words. Those aren't words that we use in our family. And he said, Dad, I've heard all those words. No, not what you think. Kids coast. It's your kids that are teaching them. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. He said, I know we don't. I know we don't use those words. I've heard them before. And I said, well, the bottom line, son, is, is I, I didn't do well tonight. That wasn't one of my best moments, and I'm sorry for that. We were going back to the hotel, laying in our beds, and I looked at him. I said, one more thing, son. Your mom's never to find out about what happened tonight. <laughs> You know, thankfully, that teachable moment, that failure, had fairly minimal consequences. You know, we were able to kind of talk about it. We can laugh about it. But some of our mistakes are bigger than that, right? I mean, the times that we act out in ways towards our kids that we shouldn't, say things that could potentially be damaging, times that we say that we're going to be there, but we don't for whatever reason, whatever it was that came up. Some of us can even point to a, a failed marriage or, you know, a, a broken home that in some way is the result of some of our, our mistakes, some of the things that we did wrong. But what if instead of hiding behind those or ignoring that they exist, what if we use those as a teachable moment? What better way to show our kids what the gospel is about than when we fall short? Say, so you know what? We don't come to church and worship a God because we've got it all together and we always make the right choices. We're, we're working on it. We're growing. We want to build character. But the, at the end of the day, this good news is about us falling short and, and teaching them that, man, there is grace for our sin, and his name is Jesus. And we come because not of what we have done, but because of what he did for us. So instead of acting like we've got it all together, we come to him and we say, you know what? I was wrong teach them how to humble ourselves and repent of our sin, ask forgiveness. I believe it's the most powerful thing that we can do as a parent in teaching our kids who Jesus is and why we need him, why we don't have it together all the time. Remember, God has blessed us with these arrows. It's our job, parents, to shape them, to send them out. Start early. 
Start now. Let's live consistently. And let's look for those moments where we have a window into their hearts and show them what the good news is all about. I want to pray for us at all of our campuses. And I've got an arrow, and this arrow represents my kids, Miles and Greta Kate, Ellie. But I want to pray for all of our kids, that God would give us the wisdom that we need to shape these arrows and that collectively the, the thousands of kids that are growing up in this church, that we would send them out, launch them out to make a difference and to be a light and a hope in this world. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you so much for the beautiful children that you've entrusted us with. I thank you, God, for the kids that are represented in this room and at every campus. And God, we hold them before you now, and we just pray, Lord, that you would use them to make a difference in this world. We pray, God, that you would keep them safe, you'd protect them, but you'd also make them dangerous. Make them, God, kids that would, would, would make a difference, that would be a light for you in this world. For every parent that's in this place today, I pray for wisdom, for guidance, God, for grace when we fall short. And we pray, Lord, that you would just give us the humility to live honest lives before our kids, teaching them who you are and what you're about. God, we're so grateful for the responsibility of these children. God, we pray, Lord, that you, you would just um, give us wisdom and grace for every step of the way. And we commit them to you and to your service. In Jesus' name, amen.